Hi everyone, welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of mesenteric ischemia found under the gastrointestinal section at metabullets.com. Let's begin with an introduction to mesenteric ischemia. Clinically, it is defined as a medical condition where the small intestine is injured secondary to any process that reduces intestinal blood flow. Acute mesenteric ischemia is characterized by acute onset of severe abdominal pain and is associated with high risk of mortality. Chronic mesenteric ischemia is a gradual decrease of blood flow typically associated with atherosclerosis. It is characterized by postprandial abdominal pain with unintentional weight loss, food aversion, and vomiting. With regards to epidemiology, remember that this mostly affects people over 60 years of age, and risk factors include atrial fibrillation, heart failure, chronic kidney failure, hypercoagulable states, and a previous myocardial infarction. In terms of the pathogenesis, it may be due to a variety of processes. Acute mesenteric ischemia is most commonly caused by an embolism in the main mesenteric arteries. Chronic mesenteric ischemia is most commonly caused by atherosclerosis. More specifically, arterial occlusion may be due to embolism secondary to atrial fibrillation, myocardial infarction, or valvular disease, or it may be due to thrombosis secondary to atherosclerosis. Non-occlusive arterial disease may be due to splanchnic vasoconstriction or hypoperfusion due to hypotension. Another cause may be venous thrombosis. Moving on to the presentation. Acute mesenteric ischemia will present with a sudden onset of severe abdominal pain, nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, and gastrointestinal bleeding. On exam, one may note a fever, tachycardia, abdominal pain out of proportion to physical findings, and peritoneal signs if there is bowel infarction. Chronic mesenteric ischemia will present with postprandial abdominal pain that resolves. This is sometimes referred to as quote-unquote intestinal angina. There may also be nausea, food aversion, vomiting, and gastrointestinal bleeding. On exam, one may note weight loss and an abdominal bruit. In terms of further imaging, mesenteric angiography is the gold standard for arterial occlusive disease. It allows for differentiation of the different etiologies and direct infusion of vasodilators in the setting of non-occlusive ischemia. Computed tomography with angiography is the best initial imaging. It will elucidate other causes of abdominal pain, and specific findings may include mesenteric edema, bowel dilation, bowel wall thickening, intramural gas, and mesenteric stranding. Abdominal radiograph can help to rule out other causes of abdominal pain, however images will often appear normal. In terms of further studies, the diagnostic approach is primarily based on clinical presentation and confirmed via angiography. Other studies that one may obtain include laboratory studies that may demonstrate a leukocytosis and an elevated lactic acid. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about ischemic colitis, with differentiating factors being that it will demonstrate pathology of the large bowel on imaging. Also think about a perforated viscous with differentiating factors being that there will be visualization of gas on abdominal radiographs. With regards to treatment, remember that therapy is dependent on the etiology and it can be pharmacological or surgical. For non-occlusive mesenteric ischemia, it may be treated with IV fluid resuscitation, nasogastric tube decompression, and anticoagulant regimen as needed, as well as vasodilators such as papaverin. For occlusive mesenteric ischemia, it may be treated with surgical revascularization via angioplasty or with thrombolytic therapy. Another option is emergency laparotomy. 
This is indicated if there is evidence of bowel infarction or necrosis, or if there is evidence of peritonitis. And remember that it may require bowel resection. Lastly, complications related to mesenteric ischemia include sepsis, bowel necrosis, perforation, and death. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to mesenteric ischemia, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 67-year-old man presents to the emergency department with abdominal pain. The patient states that whenever he eats, he gets diffuse abdominal pain and experiences nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. He states that the pain is mostly in the epigastric region. As a result of the pain, the patient has begun to eat less and has lost 10 pounds recently. The patient's past medical history is notable for diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, and a 30-pack year smoking history. His temperature is 99.2 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.3 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 150 over 95. Pulse is 72 beats per minute. Respirations are 16 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 100% on room air. Physical exam is notable for a non-tender abdomen. The patient states that his abdominal pain mostly resolved by the time he arrived to the emergency department. Which of the following is the pathophysiology of the underlying diagnosis? And the answer choices are, choice one, atherosclerotic vessel narrowing. Choice two, common bile duct obstruction. Choice three, gastric mucosa erosion. Choice four, pancreatic enzyme activation. Or choice five, thromboembolism. The best answer to this question is, choice one, atherosclerotic vessel narrowing. This patient is presenting with abdominal pain that is associated with eating as well as nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, which is concerning for a diagnosis of chronic mesenteric ischemia, which is associated with atherosclerotic vessel narrowing. Chronic mesenteric ischemia occurs secondary to narrowing of the vessels of the gut, secondary to atherosclerosis, and injury from inflammation such as smoking. Patients will typically present with diffuse abdominal pain whenever they eat, and it is associated with symptoms including nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. The patient's abdomen tends to be non-tender because the pain is secondary to reduced blood flow from vessel disease, and patients tend to endorse weight loss from food aversion. Treatment may involve rehydration, antiemetics, small meals, tight blood glucose and lipid control, and vascular surgery, including angioplasty, stenting, and surgical revascularization. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice two, common bile duct obstruction leading to swelling and pericholecystic fluid could be seen in acute cholecystitis, secondary to cholelithiasis. Cholecystitis presents in a fat, fertile female in her 40s with right upper quadrant pain and colicky abdominal pain that is worsened by eating with a positive Murphy sign. Choice three, Gastric mucosa erosion describes a peptic ulcer that presents with a more constant and gnawing pain that can be worsened by eating. It would not present with symptoms only associated with eating with diarrhea after meals. Choice 4. Pancreatic enzyme activation and inflammatory damage to the pancreas is the pathophysiology of pancreatitis. Acute pancreatitis would present with epigastric pain in an alcoholic or after a fatty meal. Laboratory studies would show an elevated lipase. Choice 5. Thromboembolism describes acute mesenteric ischemia where a blood clot has been dislodged and suddenly completely occludes the flow of blood to a portion of the colon. 
This presents with sudden onset and severe abdominal pain, with the classic quote-unquote pain out of proportion to exam. Finally, a bullet summary. Chronic mesenteric ischemia occurs secondary to atherosclerosis and vessel narrowing, and it presents with abdominal pain that is associated with nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea when the patient eats. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 74-year-old woman with a past medical history of hypertension, peripheral artery disease, and migraine headaches presents to the emergency department with a two-hour history of severe abdominal pain. The patient cannot recall any similar episodes, although she notes occasional abdominal discomfort after eating. She describes the pain as sharp periumbilical pain. She denies recent illness, fever, chills, nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Her last normal bowel movement was yesterday evening. Her temperature is 37.1 degrees Celsius, or 98.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Pulse is 110 beats per minute. Blood pressure is 140 over 80, and respirations are 20 breaths per minute. On exam, the patient is grimacing and appears to be in significant discomfort. Heart and lung exams are within normal limits. The patient's abdomen is soft and non-distended, with diffuse periumbilical pain on palpation. There is no rebound tenderness or guarding, and bowel sounds are present. The rest of the exam is unremarkable. Labs in the emergency room demonstrate a sodium of 144, chloride of 105, potassium of 3.7, bicarbonate of 20, BUN of 15, glucose of 99, creatinine of 1.2, calcium of 10.7, phosphorus of 5.2, lactate of 7.0, amylase of 240. Hemoglobin is 13.4, hematocrit is 35%, leukocyte count is 12,100 with a normal differential, and platelet count is 405,000. What is the next best step in diagnosis? And the answer choices are, choice 1, D-dimer level, choice 2, plain abdominal radiograph, Choice 3, exploratory laparotomy. Choice 4, CT angiography. Or choice 5, abdominal duplex ultrasound. The best answer to this question is, choice 4, CT angiography. This elderly patient presents with the leukocytosis, metabolic acidosis, and periumbilical pain out of proportion to exam, which is most concerning for acute mesenteric ischemia. The next best step in diagnosis of AMI is CT angiography of the mesenteric vessels. AMI can result from thrombosis or embolism to the mesenteric vessels. Acute mesenteric arterial occlusion accounts for the majority of cases of AMI, with occlusion of the superior mesenteric artery being the most common site. The early clinical presentation of mesenteric ischemia is characterized by abdominal pain out of proportion to exam. Lab findings may include leukocytosis, metabolic acidosis with an elevated lactate, and elevated phosphate and amylase levels. CT angiography is the modality of choice to diagnose acute mesenteric ischemia. Immediate management includes gastrointestinal decompression, fluid resuscitation, anticoagulation, and antibiotics. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Serum D-dimer levels that are normal can be used to help exclude acute mesenteric ischemia but an elevated D-dimer is not sufficiently specific to aid in the diagnosis of AMI. Imaging with CT angiography would still be required. Choice 2. Plain abdominal radiograph may show signs such as distended loops of bowel, bowel wall thickening, or pneumatosis intestinalis. However, this test is not sufficiently sensitive to definitively rule out acute mesenteric ischemia. Choice 3. 
Exploratory laparotomy is not immediately indicated in the hemodynamically stable patient. Although this patient will likely require laparotomy for treatment of AMI, it is preferable to first establish a definitive diagnosis via CT angiography. Choice 5. Abdominal ultrasound is used to aid in the diagnosis of many abdominal conditions. For patients with known mesenteric thrombosis that has been treated with the stent, duplex ultrasound can be used to monitor stent function. It is not the imaging modality of choice in diagnosis. Finally, a bullet summary. Acute mesenteric ischemia presents with periumbilical abdominal pain out of proportion to exam, leukocytosis, and metabolic acidosis. The best initial test is CT angiogram. That's all for this review about mesenteric ischemia. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. <laughs>